money Two bars on the show Show the boys stay ready Swamp rats, let's go It's the fantasy points Ain't no raggedy joint They mad at me scoring points But then they glad that they joined One for the money Two bars on the show Yo, welcome back, Swamp Rats. Welcome back, man. Uh, it's been way too long. Um, if you've been uh, rocking with us in, in the Two Bars podcast, you know that we kind of have to take a break uh, every season. We just don't have the bandwidth, Scott, to, to really like put sink our teeth into it. Maybe in future years we should, but uh, we've been so busy. Uh, we're, we're usually really busy during the season, so we are, we've kind of made Two Bars an off-season uh, venture and we are bringing it back early february well, i guess now late february this this month's flown by man um yeah it's gonna be back talking to you guys man good to be back on the the podcast channel two bars is back best theme song in the business and the best two bars in the business scott man how's it going you enjoying your uh your time off there i mean i know the last like couple weeks have been have been real nice after the super bowl it's, this is like one of my favorite times of the year here that's, that's right, baby. We're back. We're back. We're bringing it back. Now double your money and make it stack. This is two bars. How many bars? Two bars with a Z. That's Scott Barrett, Grant Barfield, FantasyPoints.com. I think we're running a special promo right now. So uh, get in on that ASAP. Lock that in so you get all the goods for the entirety of the offseason, the full season. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm happy to do this. Like, I was a gigantic piece of shit since the season <laughs> ended. But like the grind is unreal. It's like 90 to 100 hours per week for like 22 straight weeks because there's postseason DFS and like the first, the last three weeks before the season starts are crazy. Like I write 96 stats and a bunch of other stuff. And um, yeah, I've just been playing a lot of Call of Duty. I'm, I've gotten really, really good at it. It's like the five year old. Call of Duty World War II version. Oh, wait, it came... so you're not even playing Warzone. You're just playing. No, Warzone. no. I got the new one. I was like, I, I don't really love this. Uh, but so it's just me and like a bunch of people who have no lives who are just insanely good at that game. I became friends with one guy who's like the number one player. And we just like have our headsets and we just talk. And uh, he's 17 years old. He like, are you just like failing out of high school playing this till four in the morning? And he's Yeah. <laughs> But he's so good. He has a YouTube, and so uh, that's been my that's been my focus. But I'm happy to get back into the real grind. Uh, did get all my models together in order, so have like the rough draft there. I, I still have to make some adjustments, but gonna hop on a podcast with Wes, and we're gonna go over like a very first look at the rookies sort of deal, and uh, that's what I'm looking at right now. Yeah, man. Um... Wait, so you're playing you're playing Call of Duty World War Two, or are you playing one of the older platform like PS2 games? No, no, World War Two, yeah, PS3, okay, okay. PS3. Yeah, I don't think I ever played that. Or one. PS4. Where are we on now? PS5. Yeah, yeah so PS5. That, that one came out for PS4, but the PS, uh, the, I think it was like a PS3 game. Uh, wow, God, what's that? I think it was Call of Duty Three. I think that was it. That was the the old PlayStation Three game. But I'm damn, I'm nasty, bro. I'm going like 96 and eight on the rug. You, it's it's you, uh, and then the second best player in the world, and the number one best player is not even finishing high school. So, congrats. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, no, uh, definitely be on the lookout for that West pod. We asked Wes uh, to start doing a little bit of dynasty content for us, and it took him like two days to put together an article for 350 players. Uh, that's already up on the site, so you should definitely check that out if you're 
uh, you know, just kind of revamping your, your rosters or going into startups, whatever, what have you, Wes is your guy for that. But uh, yeah, I'm not really talking so much about um, this upcoming season, more so just recapping this past year. And, and Scott, man, I like, I felt like just an overarching thing from this past year was, man, you know, the first two rounds, there were so many landmines. And I think, you know, there was a whole debate of like, you know, how to structure drafts, how to attack drafts this past summer, uh, the viability of zero running back, the viability of, of going RB, RB to start. And what we saw, man, was especially in a lot of these big best ball tournaments, like the underdog, uh, the guy who won the big underdog tournament started RB, RB, I believe with Jonathan Taylor and Aaron Jones. Um, it, it was a really interesting year where I think a lot of different strategies worked. So let's let's start there. I mean, you were definitely more of like bell cow or bust. That's kind of your big thing. Um, I definitely am, uh, lean more towards your way, m- more towards your way than like the zero running back zealots. Uh, but I was typically going with one running back in the first two rounds and then just hammering receiver in the following like three or four. Um, yeah, let's just start there. Um, what do you think worked this year for you uh, just in general with your teams and then just kind of like some of the overarching uh, things we saw from this past year? Yeah, so this is an interesting year because like neither strategy really works. Like you go zero RB, you get, you know, Stefan Diggs, Calvin Ridley, DK Metcalf, DeAndre Hopkins, and those really AJ t- Brown, like those- Terry McLaurin, Allen Robinson, like none of those guys were world beaters. And then you can get Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel, who were world beaters in the later rounds. Uh, but you can make the same case with running back, like a really disappointing year for Christian McCaffrey, for Alvin Kamara, Zeke, eh, less so him, but Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley, um, and a lot of those guys. Uh, what did I do? I, I did stick with Bell Cower Bust. Um, so I had a lot of teams that were Najee, Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup, uh, that made it to the finals in the FFPC. Um, but but really, it wasn't a good year for Bell Cower Bust. Last year, I wrote, listen, guys, it's an outlier year. This is the worst year for bell cower bust in, you know, the past, uh, since was it 2015, the, the Devonta Freeman year where he was the RB one. Um, and so I, I'm like, Oh, it's going to regress to the mean, uh, McCaffrey's going to stay healthy. Saquon's going to stay healthy. And Cam Akers is an exciting running back. and like all these other names. And it just was an even worse year. Um, and so now I, I'm I'm in a tricky situation. I, I've given a lot of thought, but but haven't started writing it yet. Uh, do do I just kind of throw my hands up and say, you know, the strategy did work, but but something's changed with the landscape, and uh, I just I just don't really know the answer. I will say for myself, uh, I did have some really bad calls. Um, I was like two spots lower on Derrick Henry, and I was like two spots lower on Jonathan Taylor, Derek Henry. I mean, it was still like, he doesn't catch targets or he's not really involved in the passing game. Um, Darrington Evans is like maybe lurking in the background and it was just wrong. And it was just a bad call. It's just like guys are freak and just know I should, you know, uh, bump up those guys. And then Jonathan Taylor, it was like the beat writers are saying, here's what they want for him. They want 60 to 65% of the carries and like, 30% of the targets. 
And like in the early portion of the season, you did see him in a committee role. And then of course, talent, you know, rose to the top and talent saved the day. It was, he was the bell cow. He was who we argued he should be. And so maybe just a little lesson there is just like really hammer these hyper talented running backs because my model said Jonathan Taylor, one of the two or three best running back prospects to come out in seven years since Jamar Chase was the best wide receiver prospect since the Julio Jones, AJ Green year. And just draft those guys, like ignore everything else beyond that and just assume talent's going to rise to the top and overcome all the other, you know, sort of deficiencies. But I, the, this is just sort of how I'm, I'm thinking about it. What, what about you? Yeah. Um, I stayed pretty strong on Derrick Henry. Uh, I think I ha- ended up having him like highest on staff in our best ball ranks, which was awesome until nice. they got hurt. I mean, I, I had him on a ton of teams, not just best ball teams, but just redraft in general too. I mean, I had him everywhere, but just like you, I, I, you know, I messed up the JT thing as well. Like, I had, looking back on it, I think I had Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon ahead of him. And, and like you, I mean, I was really high on JT as a prospect. I mean, he's you know, smashed in yards created. I had him as the RB1 pre-draft. Ended up with him as the RB2 post, um, you know, just because of the, the landing spot and Reich, you know, filtering through backs like we talked about. But, yeah, man, I, you know, I, I think I have the same takeaway as you. It's just like, you know, these truly, you know, I hate to use the, the cliche word generational, but, you know, Based on your model, based on my yards created, based on a number of other things, JT fit a lot of the bills of like an Adrian Peterson type running back. And uh, those guys buck the trend, man. In general, they buck the trend. And and we saw that last year. And, um, you know, I think the big debate now, man, is like, is JT the locked in 101? Do we go back to McCaffrey? I think in PPR, you could definitely make a case for Cup. And, you know, I know we're sitting here, it's February 21st. And, you know, we're doing this for the content, hashtag the content. But, um, yeah, man, I think it's an interesting debate. JT versus CMC versus Cup right now uh, as the 101. Where do you land? Yeah, so so I – this is tricky for me. I don't know. Is this legal? You can tell me if this is legal or not. But uh, I was thinking about having Jonathan Taylor one in my rankings, but personally – like damn near 50 50 or even more Christian McCaffrey. And that's just like my personal risk, risk tolerance. Uh, I'm very tolerant of risk uh, and chasing upside where when McCaffrey's healthy, he is Exodia. He is the greatest cheat code in fantasy. And like no one else comes close, including like even Jonathan Taylor, who like granted like a historic, ridiculous stretch to end out the season uh, in that bell cow workload. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, he missed 10 of 33 games over the last two seasons. He was banged up a bit in college. You can argue he's a bit undersized. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I just – I love the man. And, uh, you know, I, I love that that cheat code upside where, uh, you know, two years ago when he was healthy – three years ago now uh, – he it was basically like the, the answer to the question was like, did you win your league? Uh, the question, follow up question is, well, did you have Christian McCaffrey? And it's like sort of like that. Right. Uh, but I mean, meanwhile, Jonathan Taylor, I don't think he's like, he's had what, 400 plus touches dating back to sixth grade. So like, yeah. I feel like, uh, you know, he is, he does feel safer. Yeah. I mean, what is it? JT hasn't missed a game dating back to high school or something like that. I think you or Wes have, have repeated that a couple of times. But I, think I, 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 I remember yeah. the knock on him coming out was, 
too much tread on the tires. And it's like idiots. Like only the NFL would see, you know, a guy getting, you know, 20 plus touches in like 40 straight games as a knock. So stupid. I mean, you and I talked about this, like, you know, not on the pod, but like being a workhorse and being able to maintain that level of workload is absolutely a skill. Like absolutely 100% absolutely a skill. And JT, JT has that. Uh, Derek Henry has that. Um, but at the very or least, maybe Matt, maybe McCaffrey doesn't, and maybe they've yeah. realized it, and maybe they're going to scale back his usage to to keep him healthy. See, but in the same the, stance, if that happens, like he's getting like twelve targets probably, and just like ten yeah. carries. Yeah. Here's the thing: if we just assume these coaching staffs and these teams to automatically out of nowhere start using common sense when there hasn't been much common sense in the first place to begin with. I don't know. It's a slippery slope, man, because the Panthers have definitely not been the sharpest organization in general for the last couple of years. And I, I was talking to Edwin about this a couple of days ago. It's like, you know, they had a chance to scale back McCaffrey this year. They could have scaled him back immediately when he, you know, came back from injury again in the middle of the year. And, and they just didn't. Um, I would personally love to see McCaffrey play like 65, 70% of the snaps. I mean, I know it would, you know, reduce his points per game from like 29 and a half to like 25 but still i mean just like jesus man get him through a season but yeah so um, so then so then you know that that's a that's a strong argument for for taylor that because there's no reason to scale back his usage and in fact like frank reich was saying the entire offense is centered around him and his skill set and they're they're content to just plow him into the you know stacked defensive fronts because that opens up so many things for the passing game in terms of play action right. um, and design RPO runs and, and design run. And so like, yeah. So if McCaffrey does get a scale back workload, like, I mean, he has a long way to fall and to still be the most valuable player in fantasy if he's healthy, but that's just another feather in the cap for Taylor. Yeah, I think I lean towards Taylor right now. Um, I Full disclosure, I have no skin in the game right now. I, I usually get a lot of my skin in the game after free agency and, and through the draft and after the draft. But uh, if I were on the clock right now and I had the 101, it would be JT. Um, you know, Panthers, not only, like, do they have quarterback concerns again, we've got, you know, uh, overarching. So do the Colts, though. Yeah, but here's the thing. The Colts have one of the best offensive lines in the game still. They do. Yeah, Panthers. Panthers but are. but the Panthers sucking isn't bad for McCaffrey because True. he gets so many targets, whereas, like, if the Colts are suddenly, I mean, they have a great defense, but suddenly like a four-win team, all that negative game script for Taylor, it, it was encouraging. He was used more as a pass catcher, though it was like intermittent uh, and sort of like random games without much. But uh, yeah, so th- this is just like one of those tricky debates. Uh, I'm glad we spent some time covering it because yeah. it is tricky. Yeah, it is tricky. And at the very least, man, like, you know, the last couple of years, last three years, really, we've had like a consensus 101. And this year we don't. And we really don't have a consensus like top 24. I mean, there's going to be some pretty big swings, I think, in ADP, especially in the second round uh, this coming year, which I'm, I'm looking forward to. I, I, I love when, when things are a little more wide open and, you know, everybody doesn't just take the same strategy for the first couple of rounds. There's some actual stands being taken. Um, yeah, so we talked through a little bit of our worst calls this year. JT was definitely one of mine. I, I just didn't end up with enough of him. Uh, I had Mix ahead of him, which I guess worked out okay, but JT was obviously the, the league winner this year. 
had Aaron Jones ahead of him, uh, which was which was unfortunate. Take a huge L on that. Uh, best call for this past year was definitely Debo. Um, I was banging the drum for Debo starting last summer. Did not envision him becoming this like you know wide receiver running back uh, running back hybrid by any means. Nor did I expect the, the insane efficiency. Uh, that he had this past year, but but Debo, the thesis about, around drafting Debo in the eighth round was was pretty simple. It's like you know he's amazing after the catch. Jimmy G is going to throw it short. Uh, if he can stay healthy, there's you know you know PPR upside for sure. And yeah, man, he's just he shouldn't be three or four rounds cheaper than than Brandon Ayuk. I uh, definitely feel like I ran hot with that one for sure. Um, and, and this kind of like. I don't know. This this is what kind of fit into my overarching theme for last year's draft. You know, going with superhero running back, where you just take one back in the first two rounds, and then really kind of just don't touch the position until like the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth round, uh, and load up on you know high upside, uh, you know high upside handcuffs, what have you. I just love the wide receiver landscape last year between you know rounds four through seven. I, I just felt like it set up really well. Uh, Chase was obviously another slam dunk. I ended up with Chase on a lot of teams uh, where I kind of didn't really expect it. I thought he was a little overpriced in like the fourth round. Uh, then he started to slip during the preseason. I just bought the dip, and uh, that ended up being a home run. Um, so I would say I would definitely say loading up on Debo and Chase were probably my two best like process and calls of last year. Um, did you have anybody that like really stood out kind of in those mid rounds that you were hammering? Uh, that really worked out. Uh, Jalen Hurts was probably my most drafted player, so that was that was a big win at his ADP. Uh, had a ton well, of Joe Mixon. Have you looked at ADP? He's cheap. I saw that. I mean, uh, the the question with him, and he's a tricky dynasty call too, because it's like I think there is a legitimate chance the Eagles go out of their way with all their first round picks to draft a replacement, trade for Deshaun Watson. So maybe not draft a replacement. This is a whack class. But maybe trade for someone. Um, and uh, so, like, I, I don't know how secure his job is, but, like, if he gets that job, like, he should be, you know, what, QB5, QB6 by ADP because of the Konami code. Um, so uh, Jalen Hurts, Joe Mixon, um, I think you're going to give me credit for Cooper Cup, but I'm going to argue that I'm a fraud and I, I don't deserve credit because we, we had a lot of debates about this. He was going a full round later uh, than Robert Woods, even though he averaged more targets per game than Woods in each of the past two seasons. He outscored him by fantasy points per game in two of the last three seasons. Uh, but I am a fraud because at the last second, my last my last run of rankings, I cowardly put them right next to each other with Woods a spot higher. So zero credit on that. Uh, Mike Williams, I like was I was victory lapping that way too early because oh, no. he. He was so hot, and then he he completely fell apart. Uh, had a bunch of Dalton Schultz, a bunch of Zach Ertz. Uh, didn't really write up those guys a ton, but but drafted a bunch of them. And um, who else? I'm forgetting. Oh, Elijah Moore. Yeah. So every year, I'm like super obnoxious about one guy just for fun, and it's always like a super late round pick. And uh, I wanted to hang myself week seven. <laughs> I was I was miserable. My mentions were in flames. I had no self-esteem, no self-confidence. And then he, he sort of pulled it out in the end. Um, should have just, should have just, Jamar Chase should have just been my guy. I mean, like my model says he's like God and he was God. But uh, 
Elijah Moore, decent, call, you know, injuries at the end, but. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, dude. Elijah Moore came on middle of the year. I mean, it looked, I mean, he was trending towards being a league winning player. The, the big thing with him is just getting away from Zach Wilson, man. And I, think, I know. You know we'll have that debate again. He uh, had, he had like Josh Johnson, Mike White, like, <laughs> like bottom, like, like top, like fringe top 40 QBs in the NFL. And they were still exponentially better than for him than Zach Wilson, which is like su- such a damning, uh, ugh. Yeah, tough scenes for Jets fans once again. I'm sorry, Jets fans. I, he'll be good. Zach Wilson be good. He was he was raw, high Ooh. upside. Oh boy. I don't you know, know you the, disagree. The success rate of quarterbacks that have that bad of a rookie year, especially with this bad of a franchise long term, it's not great. It's also not great for Trevor Lawrence, by the way. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, so let's I'm, talk about that because. Uh, I'm in a uh, dynasty super flex draft w- with Danny Kelly as my co-owner, and we just took uh, Trevor Lawrence with the 211. Okay. I was on the fence about that. I mean, like we like to go young. Uh, Jalen Waddle was there, Cooper Cup was there, Tyreek was there, Christian McCaffrey was there. So I was eyeing all those guys, but there definitely was like a tear death with the quarterbacks. There was a big run, and he was still there. And Danny was just like, "Yeah, I, we already have Justin Herbert." So I want like two six six golden Greek god quarterbacks <laughs> for the next twenty years, and like it's hard to argue against that. Like, like supposedly a generational prospect, but I mean one of the worst touchdown rates of any quarterback in any season in NFL history. I think there was an eight game stretch where he threw like three hundred and fifty passes and had one touchdown. It was so so bad, and like I don't know what to do with him. Like you can, can you just blame it all on Herb being a uber donkey okay but at the same time like that was like a super super rough rookie season and i know quarterbacks typically struggle as rookies but yikes yeah i mean in general this rookie class really struggled and i think that's one of my overarching themes from this past season man is like a lot a lot of my best ball teams i i was relying on trey lance or justin yeah same quarterback and yeah, I took a big L on that one. I mean, I guess Fields ended up being okay, but, you know, Lance didn't even get on the field. Lawrence was worthless. Um, yeah, but, you know, on Lawrence, man, like, here's the thing. Not only was he contending with Urban and Bevel and stuff and just an incompetent staff, but his best receiver down the stretch was Laquan Treadwell. And, like, right. if, you were to, if you were to put the Jets receivers on the Jags, I have to think Trevor Lawrence would have been at least a lot better. Like, Jameson Crowder probably would have caught 90 balls with the Jags this year. I mean, LaVisca Chanel is one of the worst wide receivers in the NFL. I mean, the, the hype, he's going he's gonna to get hype again this year. It's going to happen. Uh, but LaVisca was, was really bad. Marvin Jones obviously hit the age cliff. Really no surprise there. I mean, when your top boundary receiver is Laquan Treadwell, you know, there's some some massive struggle. And, and Jamal Agnew, who played cornerback yeah, all throughout yeah. college. Yeah, yeah. Jamal Agnew, a converted cornerback, was was their best wide receiver early in the year. And and also, I mean, I think they drafted Travis Etienne with the idea of him being like kind of a hybrid type player where he's going to play some running back or play some receiver. Take some pressure off the quarterback. Right. And they just needed some juice. Like that offense had zero juice. Um so I don't know. I'm, I'm excited for Lawrence in moving forward and just getting a, a veteran staff around him. I've, I've talked to a couple of my buddies who are just diehard Jags fans. And I mean, we all kind of agree, like just the whole premise that Khan and the Jags, you know, front office is taking right now is like, let's just surround Lawrence with some veterans and just try to like steady the ship. 
because uh, I mean, at this point, that's a couple years of just kind of like steadying the ship and hopefully getting him a couple more playmakers uh, will be huge. But yeah, uh, sticking on the the theme of tricky things to analyze, Scott. Um, a couple of players we need to talk through uh, for kind of a look ahead, look back uh, hybrid here. Two receivers, Gabe Davis and Amon Ross St. Brown. We'll start with Davis. Um, you know, obviously he had the four touchdown game, just went berserk against the Chiefs. Um, you know, I think some of that was just he was getting wide ass open. Chiefs have, all, you know, they struggled against boundary receivers all year, and Gabe Davis just got on top of them uh, early and often in that game. The thing with Davis now, though, man, is Cole Beasley might not be a part of the team anymore. Emmanuel Sanders will definitely be, you know, they'll definitely move on from Sanders. You know, I, I don't know how Sean McDermott and this staff kept Gabe Davis behind Manny Sanders for like half the year. I, I'm usually one who never really, tr- I never really try to go overboard, like, you know, shitting on coaching staffs or anything like that. Cause I, you know, those guys, those guys obviously put, no, seriously, they put, they put in a ton of work. They know the players better than 99% of the population. But in this case, man, like, God, I, I still don't understand the Manny Sanders, uh, Gabe Davis thing. Um, but anyway, you know, I right now Gabe Davis is going to go fifth, sixth round of drafts. I think that's going to continue to creep up, especially if they do move on from Cole Beasley. Um, how do we see this Davis situation uh, in 2020 and beyond here? Yeah, so I think we have a unique take on this just because we have access to Adam Kaplan, NFL insider extraordinaire who has been telling us since they drafted him how much they love him, how impressed they are by his IQ, his football IQ, his tape knowledge, his tape study, and how they were uh, grooming him to become a do-it-all wide receiver. They were training him to be the premier understudy for the X wide receiver, the Y wide receiver, the Z wide receiver roles. Uh, And so there was definitely going to be a role for him when the geriatric – uh, Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley, you know, get out of the picture. And so his like breakout game wasn't super surprising to us. You know, I was all over him in DFS that week. Um, he reminds me of Adam Thielen uh, going into 2017. And because, you know, he had done nothing, undrafted guy, no one really uh, paid much attention to him. Uh, And then he closed out the season with uh, a 101-yard game in week 14 and then a 202-yard, two-touchdown game in week 16. But, like, basically all of his fantasy points or, like, 40% of his fantasy points that season came in those two games. And I was looking at a number of different metrics while he was insanely hyper-efficient on a per-route, per-target basis, and they just signed him to this deal and they're saying he's going to be a starter when he wasn't really a starter until the really late in the season. And so I was all over him and he paid dividends in 2017. He went off, but he was like a 10, 10th round draft pick. Yeah. And Gabriel Davis is like round six, oh no, mid round five. Yeah. So, I mean, just to pay that, I, I know it's all wishful thinking and it's like, well, we haven't seen that. This is also fantasy football where you have to, get ahead of the curve on that and see those breakouts because it just happens. It's, it's kind of not like baseball so much uh, where you can just draft these steady producers. You do have to be early on the breakouts. And uh, 
I mean, everything is pointing towards like he should smash. They, they lost their offensive coordinator, which isn't great. But I mean, it's Josh freaking Allen and all these targets are opening up. I'm probably not drafting him at his ADP, but if he turned out to be, you know, a world beater, it wouldn't shock me. I, I think I think in conjunction with this Gabriel Davis debate, we have to mention that Stefan Diggs was totally underwhelming. To close out the 2020 season, he averaged the most DraftKings fantasy points per four quarters or like the, the fourth most all time over his final like 10 games or so. And uh, this year wasn't the case. Yeah, Allen really spread the ball around quite a bit more. He wasn't this alpha wide receiver one. And like maybe Gabriel Davis is, is their, their competing wide receiver ones. We don't have much to go off of that. He, he did play behind Emmanuel Sanders inexplicably for most of the season. But I mean, to see what he did against the Chiefs and, you know, all the praise Adam Kaplan has been heaping on him. So it's tricky. Yeah, I think my that's my take, man, is like if Steph Diggs is going to start slipping in that like late second, early third round range, I'm buying that dip instead right. of paying the premium for for Davis in the fifth round banking on a breakout. You know, I think I mean, I'm I'm definitely a believer in, in Davis's talent. I'm definitely a believer that the role can be amazing. I mean, these you know, the Bills throw it 38, 40 times a game. We saw them you know run it a little bit more and that actually helped help their offense a ton late late in the stretch there, you know, finding some sort of like semblance of consistency on the ground with Singletary. That really did help. But, you know, this is still the Bills. Allen threw it 646 times this past year. Uh, the volume is going to be amazing for Davis. I definitely could see him, um, you know, paying off. But I don't see like the smash, like, you know, him being a top 12, top 15 wide receiver uh, at that ADP right now. Um, but yeah, man. I, I want some discounts to Von Diggs. That's kind of where I'm going. And, and with Diggs, man, like, here's the thing. I mean, he led the league in end zone targets this past year. Stephon Diggs, I mean, he he made up for, you know, the dip in efficiency uh, in, in volume um, in, in touchdowns, which, you know, year over year, you kind of, you can't really bank on that. But, I mean, we're still talking about a guy who caught 6.1 balls per game this past year. We just didn't have the, you know, the huge 150 plus yard, excuse me, games that we did uh, uh, in 2020 when he first joined uh, joined the team. So yeah, I'm gonna be back in on some digs uh, in the third round. Um, Got to talk through one more. I'm on Ross St. Brown, man. Obviously ended uh, ended the season on a freaking tear of a all time, man. I had a stat on this, like you know, it's not apples to oranges, obviously, because you know the NFL expanded the season, but I mean, he he had like the third or fourth most fantasy points to close out a season among a rookie among rookie receivers all time. I mean, just an all time heater for Amon Ross St. Brown. That being said, all of this came with T.J. Hawkinson being hurt. Uh, it came with them really not having much else at receiver, and DeAndre Swift being hurt. Swift was obviously a huge part of the Lions' passing game this past year. Um, Man, I, I know we love Amon Ross St. Brown here. What that's Wes Huber's guy. Uh, he was banging the drum uh, for for Amon Ra quite often this past summer. But man, I mean, you look at the structural things that you know happen for this breakout to take place between Hawkinson missing, between Swift being in and out of the lineup, between them just having nothing else at receiver. I don't know, man. I, I don't. I think it's going to be Amon Ra is going to be hard pressed to you know catch eight balls for ninety yards and score every game. Uh, moving forward, obviously. 
Um, where do you see St. Brown right now and, and how are you valuing him? Yeah, so I, I do think it is important to note that uh, Wes, this is Wes Huber's guy, uh, absolutely in love with him. So this, this late breakout wasn't super surprising. And like you said, it was a historically ridiculous breakout uh, over the last six weeks of the season, double-digit targets in every single game, um, at least eight catches, 70-plus yards in every single game, uh, a touchdown in all of them but one. Uh, he had 100, over 100 fantasy points over this stretch, uh, the third most by a rookie wide receiver across any six-game stretch ever. Uh, only Jamar Chase and Odell Beckham Jr. were higher. Um, I comped Gabe Davis to 2016 Adam Thielen. Uh, my comp for this would be Brandon Ayuk, because like you said, all of this came without TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift. So they kind of had no other choice but to pepper him with targets. That is the concern. But at the same time, I mean, going into the season, he's the clear wide receiver one. Uh, this is f- far more enticing and impressive and exciting than anything else. He also had a bunch of rushing production over the stretch. Uh, he had uh, snaps lined up as a running back. This was all with Dan Campbell calling the plays after ousting Anthony Lynn. Uh, he was really featured. Um, I think I think he is actually uh, a value, especially in relation to a Gabriel Davis, because uh, he is going, um, I think, like five spots higher than Gabe Davis. No, yeah. no, hold on. Yeah. No, they're going around the same range looking through ADP early. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I, saw, I, I would definitely like, you know, if I'm on the clock right now, fifth round, sixth round, and I'm, I'm looking at receivers, I'm definitely I'm, – we're, we're going through our best ball ranks right now, which we actually should have up um, maybe later this week or early next week. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to have St. Brown, uh, Brown ahead of Gabe Davis for all the reasons you mentioned, man. And the, the one feather in the cap that I love for St. Brown um, is they started finally moving him out of the slot. Um, it wasn't like – you know, he was a full-time slot player early in the year. He still played 70-ish percent of the snaps, so it was only like a, a handful of snaps per game where he was uh, moved out wide more. But I think that should you know, definitely become uh, – you know, I think they're definitely going to try to get him more involved uh, as an outside wide receiver uh, in, in 2022 and beyond, which, which is obviously huge for him and, you know, further cements him as, as the number one. But I am expecting, you know, he's not going to get double-digit targets per game. I mean, it's just not happened. Happened with T.J. Gronkinson. Uh, getting back in the lineup here. Here's a tricky question for you. Amon Ross St. Brown or Elijah Moore in redraft? You could throw Devonta Smith in there because he's at the same ADP range, but I, I like him the least, I think. Uh, man. Goff is for sure back, right? Like, they're just going to... I think they, I think there's a chance they take Malik Willis. Okay. Maybe not at their actual pick. Maybe they trade down, but yeah. I'm hearing whispers and rumors. Okay, so at the very least, Goff will be back as the week one starter. I don't think, even if they take one of these quarterbacks, right, in the right, class, right, right, not gonna, right. They, he will not be the week one starter. I'd go Goff, man, or, or not Goff, but I would go Amon Ra. As crazy as it sounds, I feel a little bit better about Goff and the surrounding uh, Lions offense than than uh, Elijah Moore. But I mean, I mean, <laughs> there's also a chance Wilson takes that step forward. I've been dreaming of Tony Romo's been envisioning for him and uh you know 
he sets the world on fire. But yeah, I, I, I do think St. Brown feels a little safer. Yeah, for what it's worth, man, I've soured on Romo. I think when he first came out, like his like enthusiasm oh, yeah. for the game, like his enthusiasm for the game is is palpable. Like the dude obviously gives a shit, but man, he is he can be cringy, real, real cringy at times. Like he, I don't know, man. He he went on this like thing about comparing. Uh, I think every big media member does this now. They compare everybody to Mahomes, but I mean, I remember him trying to compare Zach Wilson to Mahomes too. I was like. I mean, how far, how far are we going to go with this? Like, right. But what if he's what right? What if he's stop? right? Yeah. I mean, the chances are like very minimal, but not, not quite baked into ADP. I think, I mean, yeah, I, we just need to stop with that. But uh, I do think Wilson is a lot better than, than public perception right now. Yeah. I mean, especially if they get an offensive line, which I think is like the crux <laughs> of the problem. Yeah, well, that's been the crux of the Jets' problem since 2010. <laughs> that's been the problem for the last 12, 15 years. So, um, yeah, one other thing I want to talk to you about before we get in the mailbag, we got a bunch of good questions this week. So, shout out everybody that uh, responded to us on Twitter, Discord, whatever. But um, one more thing we got to talk through is Kyle Pitts, man. Tight, tight end was a shit show once again. I actually just filed an article uh, a couple hours ago, just like looking into scoring trends. One of the things I like to do. Um, at the beginning of every off season, it's just like, take a step back, take a couple weeks off and just kind of like, you know, obviously catch my breath, go for a hike, go outside, spend some time with, uh, some family, friends, whatever, like, you know, live my life a little bit, but I also like to just take a step back, step back with, with work. Like, you know, I spend so much time, you know, diving into the minutia and, and, you know, trying to find, you know, small, simple, uh, you know, small sample signals that, that help us you know, during the season and stuff. So I, you know, one of the things I, I love to do is just take a step back and just like, you know, evaluate scoring on a yearly level. And, uh, you know, I put together this article and, and once again, I mean, no surprise, tight end scoring was absolutely abysmal. This was the tied for the second worst year over the last 10 in fantasy points per game, just at the position. Um, and once again, we've just seen where, you know, the middle class of tight ends and fantasy is just gone, man. Like it's completely gone. Um, you know, we've got Kelsey and Andrews at the top. You can kind of include Kittle. Uh, Gronk was awesome when he was healthy this past year. But outside of that, man, like it's, it's you know, we're chasing touchdowns. Um, and, you know, there was no bigger disappointment this past year at the tight end position than, than Kyle Pitts. Um, you know, Pitts was going in the fourth round ahead of Jamar Chase. Um, you know, longtime listeners know that uh, it's not that I was betting against Pitts as a player. I still think he's a great player, but I was betting against his ADP and, and that worked out. Um, I just didn't, I, I didn't think he'd be as, as big of a disappointment as he was. Um, obviously got over a thousand yards, but a lot of that came in just a couple of games. He had 119 against the Jets and then uh, they had a buy. Then the following week, he had 163 against the Dolphins. And then like from there on out, man, I mean, it was like three, four catches a game. Um, you know, obviously the offense, the Falcons surrounding offense with, you know, Calvin really stepping back from football and taking some time. For his mental health, definitely hurt. I mean, not having Ridley to take some pressure off pits, not, you know, to draw safeties away, what have you, certainly helped. But what, you know, is there anything beyond that that you can, like, put your finger on that hurt Kyle Pitts? And, and where do we go from here with him? Yeah, so we were right to say we sh- you should be fading Pitts and redraft. Yeah. But I'm actually more bullish now than I would have expected, you know, like, I thought this was a great season. I, everything you brought up is fair, but at the same 
time. He's one of just two rookie tight ends all time with a thousand yards in their rookie season. Uh, And what really killed him was the lack of touchdowns, just one touchdown. Um, You know, you give him six touchdowns and he's easy top five in fantasy points per game. Uh, It was a really bad team and no Calvin Ridley really hurt him. He was getting wide receiver one treatment from the jump. Bill Belichick said, this is, who did he say? This is Julio Jones mixed with Tony Gonzalez, which is like the highest praise imaginable. And he treated him as such, you know, he got the bracket coverage and he ran a super high percentage of his, of his routes against, you know, top 25 graded cornerbacks, according to PFF, way more than like a Odell Beckham Jr., more than a Hollywood Brown. And so he had a lot stacked against him. And I, I thought this was an impressive rookie season. And we know tight ends do tend to make a sizable jump in their sophomore season. And I, I yeah. think that's going to be the case for Pitts. Again, like I said, with Jamar Chase, Jonathan Taylor, you bet on the Uber uh, uh, prospects, like the, the generational prospects. And that that's clearly who Kyle Pitts is. So uh, he's someone I'm excited about. We'll see what his ADP looks like. But my one rebuttal to all of that, man, is yeah. Jamar Chase got a shit ton of you know, attention, obviously. And, you know, there was a couple games where he got shut down. But in general, you you weren't shutting shutting down Jamar Chase. Justin Jefferson was the same way uh, in his rookie year. You know, he got a lot of attention, but he just kept killing people on deep crossers. Like, why? Kyle Pitts is a wide receiver. He ran over 60% of his routes. Right, right. But but isn't that what you always want to draft? You want to draft the tight ends masquerading as a wide receiver with like a 95% route share? Absolutely. We want the Darren Wallers of the world. We want those guys. But why wasn't Pitts beating coverage as a rookie when other rookie wide receivers were? That's what I that's what I really want to know. And that's I don't I don't have an answer for that. That's you know, that's somebody that's a that's a question for Wes, who's, you know, way, way smarter with with film and all that. than I am. Because they were viewing him as a wide receiver one when he's a tight end. So, again, like the deck stacked against him. Yeah, but right. what I'm saying is Jamar Chase got treated the same way in plenty of games. Yeah, I mean, he's not Jamar Chase. He's It's a different position where if if he puts up 70% of Jamar Chase's numbers as a tight end, like you're winning all of the championships. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But, I mean, that's my thing, though, is Pitts is not a tight end. I mean, he's, he barely played on the line of scrimmage this past year. Um, so one- now he has more experience in the role. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too glass uh, half full here, but – uh, yeah. I do want to bet on the second greatest tight end athlete to come out since 2000 and like my model's best tight end ever. So, yeah, I do. Yeah. I do think I, I do think to your point, the usage was really frustrating with the, the lack of consistency there, even if he is getting, you know, he he is the focal point of opposing defenses every week. There were some brutal down stretches, but the touchdowns will come. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely with you. I mean, the touchdown, everybody's going to clamor for touchdown regression, so I'm I'm certainly with you there. Falcons, you know, I looked in this too, um, just going through stuff for stat pack and stuff. But you know, Falcons were bottom of the league in red zone drives per game, but they weren't stone last. Like they were bottom ten, bottom twelve. Um, so I mean, they they got into the into scoring range often enough to the point where. Um, you know, actually, they were 16th in red zone drive percentage. Um, but they got, I mean, they got into the red zone enough where Pitts could have scored more. And, and I certainly think he will. 
moving forward, man. Cal Pitts is like catnip to the fantasy industry though, man. He like, you're not going to get a discount on this guy. Like I thought, you know, after this past year with the no touchdowns and everything, I thought he'd end up, uh, I thought he'd end up being a little cheaper, but that is not, is looking like it's not the case in early drafts whatsoever. So if you want to buy Pitts, you're still going to be buying at a premium. I, I do think Scott, final point on Pitts, like, you know, if you are ever going to buy in Dynasty, this is probably like the last time that you'll get a dip because I'm with you. I think he's going to improve on on his uh, rookie season. It just comes down to how big of a jump is it for redraft. Uh, but for Dynasty, man, this is this is the time to buy. Um, all right, good shit. Want to get in the mail back here? Let's do it. All right. Uh, all right, first one from the great doctor, Dr. Edwin, who is – shout out to Edwin, man. Um, Edwin and I have become really close, really good friends the last year and a half. And he, uh, he just took a big job with the twins organization, working as a physical therapist. He's down to Fort Myers right now, uh, chilling. Uh, obviously spring training has been, uh, postponed for the time being. We'll see about the season, but Edwin's down at Fort Myers doing big things with the twins. So shout out to him. But, uh, he asked us, is the Z new? Uh, he says in the, in the show is, is two bars is the Z new. He says he, he swears it was an S. And look, man, uh, it's always been the Z. Uh, you need to rededicate yourself to the feed. But first and foremost, I wanted to name this the Barfield Hour, but Scott <laughs> and Ben were not in favor of that. So I got shut down. So I feel like this is your fault, Scott. I, I voted for Scott Barrett featuring the Barfer. <laughs> we, we should have done that and have some pretty sick like barf drops, like uh, like old school radio, like old school sports radio. We missed or, 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 or Scotty B and the Goose. <laughs> Scotty B and the Goose. Goose, Goose, Goose. I, I, I used to do a weekly feature for uh, Buffalo's uh, Sports Talk Radio, and it was uh, Mike Shop and the Bulldog. Shout out to Mike Shop, great guy. But like they had the cliche you know, drop before every spot where it was like, Mike Shop and the Bulldog. Arr, arr, arr. So we could do something like that where it's just like Scott Barrett and the barfer. And there's a sound of someone like hurling in the background. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know what's going on with Edwin. He, this is the Mandela effect. Berenstein, Berenstein, Bears. It's always been two bars. Yeah. Yeah. No. We, dude, we, uh, I don't know. Are you a family guy uh, fan? You ever, I mean, I, ever, I was back in the day. I, I watched the yeah, first they, like four seasons religiously. They had a, they had a bit of uh, Dingo and the Baby. Uh, that's what we could definitely could, uh, <laughs> could bring back. You remember that one? Yeah. That's good. Back. Yeah. Uh, all right. Farm Tiny. Shout out to Tiny, man. He's Mike Lentini's the man. Uh, he's transcribed like every one of our DFS shows over the last couple of years. Um, actual question here, though. Uh, of the new coaching hires, which ones do you think will have the biggest positive impact and worst fantasy impact overall scott i'll let you uh go with this one um best i i i kind of side with john hansen that doug peterson may be a fraud maybe but i know i want doug peterson tight ends historically doug peterson tight end smash for fantasy uh i think josh mcdaniels i I mean like no one really knows if these guys are any good but just like his pedigree josh mcdaniels and uh bill belichick was really he always like had things super fragmented where he didn't want his coaches to, they were very specialized. He didn't give away too much information, but uh, he opened things up to Josh McDaniels as a way to get him to stay. Uh, Mike McDaniel, obviously 
a Kyle Shanahan protege. We love the Kyle Shanahan offenses. Jalen Waddle is going to go absolutely nuclear. I actually, his ADP is skyrocketing and I, I like it. I think he's going to be a super PPR machine, cheat code, yak monster. Uh, Kevin O'Connell is a little exciting. Brian Dable, I really like just because Joe Judge was wholly incompetent. And, you know, we may see Daniel Jones run more. Uh, we, we may see Kadarius Tony like featured those two weeks he was featured and smashed. Um, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe Kevin O'Connell too, but uh, those guys stand out to me. Yeah. Uh, Giants staff, man. Shout out to your Giants. I mean, for what it's worth, I think they're building an awesome oh, they crushed staff. It. Yeah, they, they absolutely crushed it. And um, Lamar has had to, I think at this point, to, to kind of get this, this, uh, this ship right. Um, that's an easy layup. Uh, Giants for sure. I'm with you on McDaniel. That was probably my second, uh, my second favorite hire this year for all the reasons you you pointed out with Waddle. I think he's going to be great for Tua too. Um, Dolphins obviously now since you know Flores is out, uh, the power struggle has been one for obviously uh, some uh, lingering reasons as well. But um, yeah, they're they're in on Tua for 2022, um, and I think McDaniel's going to do uh, solid things for that. Um, Honestly, man, I, I kind of felt like this was kind of a, outside of that. I mean, McDaniel's hire is interesting, but like you mentioned, I don't think anybody knows how McDaniel's is going to go. I mean, hopefully he's learned a ton from his debacle in Denver. Um, but, you know, those Denver teams did, did some good things too. I mean, they won a playoff game. Um, I, I'm kind of excited to see what McDaniel's does. But other than that, man, I kind of felt like this hiring season was was uh, a little mood, muted at best. I mean – Especially with the Texans bringing in Lovey Smith, man. Like, God, oh, what are they doing? Dude, you had David Cully. Like, if you're going to punt again in 2022, that's fine. But just like, bring it, bring back the guy who actually like got his team to compete, not Lovey Smith. Yeah, dude. and he lost Tim Kelly too. Sucked. Yeah, and I mean, they lost Tim Kelly. David yeah. Davis Mills was the most impressive rookie, and uh, with like zero supporting cast. So yeah, weird. Yeah, really weird. Uh, your boy Ben McAdoo, man, he's back, mm-hmm. back in Carolina. Get excited, McAdoo do. Uh, all right, uh, Huskers rule uh, on Twitter. Uh, he's in our Superflex league. Good guy. Uh, Huskers rule asked us: Was drafting Kelsey in the first round worth that price, or was it an overbuy last year? And I, I kind of think, man, I think if you drafted Kelsey at like the one hundred and eight in non tight end premiums it wasn't really like a win or a loss, honestly. I mean, you kind of just came out at market average and especially this past year, you know, unless you were drafting JT in the first round or Derrick Henry in the first round, there's a lot of that. There's either a lot of like, you kind of didn't really gain a whole much with your first or second round pick or you lost uh, on that pick. And I, I kind of, you know, even though Kelsey's Kelsey regressed, had a couple bad games, uh, which he did not have in, in 2020. I mean, he was still extremely consistent on a weekly level. Um, and I, I kind of felt like you got, you know, you got your investment back. It was like a, you know, maybe a slight win, you know, but you weren't gaining a 150 or 150% ROI like you were with Jonathan Taylor, or, you know, an 80% ROI, whatever with, with Mixon, if you want to like use investment terms. But um, I, I know I you think were that's a- the first, um, how, how do you think that played out? I mean, I think I think meeting value is a win, especially considering a lot of first round picks didn't come close to to that feat. But yeah, according to Jeff Henderson's war stat, Kelsey finished as the number nine overall most valuable player. uh, And that's about where he was being drafted. Uh, So I I definitely call that a win. 
Uh, you would have done better with Mark Andrews, who finished fifth. Maybe Dalton Schultz, who finished thirty sixth. But uh, no, I, I think I think that was definitely a win. And uh, for some reason, he slipped another round by ADP. Maybe just because he's older. But in best ball, I'm going to have a lot of Travis Kelsey just because you you draft him and you draft some rando in round sixteen, and then you're just done at the position while other guys are drafting. Dallas Goddard, who I love, by the way, I love him this year. Uh, Logan Thomas and Cole Komet. And it's just like way a much higher cost for less production. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you got to, in best ball, you know, you're spending three roster spots instead of two with Kelsey and right. you put Kelsey and Adam Troutman, the Trout guy together, man. The Trout guy, exactly. Book that as a win. Um, all right, Jake Rickroad. Uh, my guy, Jake Rickroad, shout out to the fantasy game theory days. Those are like six, seven years ago now, which is freaking <laughs> crazy to think about. But um, he asked, who is 2020's Fournette? Um, look, I mean, I think it's funny that a lot of the zero running back guys hated Fournette. <laughs> I think that's honestly hilarious. They all like, yeah, yeah. like you know, I, I, whatever. I'm not going to dig the knife in deeper there. But uh, this year's Fournette, it's so tough because – you know, Fournette, obviously, we knew the offense was great. We knew there would be layup scoring, touchdown chances, all of that. But what we didn't know, what we didn't know, Scott, is how good of a pass catcher Leonard Fournette would be. Uh, he led all running backs in receptions per game, which was, I mean, I did not think that was in his range of outcomes whatsoever. Averaged more catches per game than Eckler, more catches per game than Najee Harris. And Najee Harris had like a 19th catch game or whatever. I, I just, did, we didn't see that. Um, we didn't see that coming. I mean, he had 100 targets in 2019. Yeah, but I mean, gee, I, to, I think I guess the thing is like the Geo injury combined with Geo really not even playing when he was healthy uh, early in the year. I think that's what surprised me is that you know I thought Geo would be the third down guy, but Fournette just ended up being you know the full blown workhorse. Um, who is who is on that like? radar to be the the 22 for net for you i i i'm sure i could come up with someone better but but i'm gonna go with the obvious one i will just say the reason why jacob is bringing this up is because i wrote up for net in bell cower bust i made a really compelling argument for him in 96 stats i actually drafted a lot of him but i hated it i like almost (laughs) i i came so close to deleting what i had for him in 96 stats and then Jacob like retweeted it and was like, this is my favorite, you know, uh, series of stats from the article, like all on Leonard Fournette. And it's like, yeah, I, I almost deleted that, but like, maybe I should, maybe I should just like say that with my chest out with, with some conviction. Um, and so, yeah, he turned out to be awesome, but like really half-hearted in my, my uh, touting for him. Uh, so I think it should be someone like that, someone where it feels gross and like you, you don't really see it coming, but it could happen and, and pay off in a big way. But I, I'm just going to go with the obvious one because it's all I can think of right now. That's Rashad Penny, mm. who, I mean, was on an absolute freaking heater to uh, close out the season. Uh, and, like, he was a guy we all wrote off as dust, couldn't stay healthy, former first-round pick. But, uh, I mean, our projections were all over him at the tail end. of So week 14 – uh, 137 rushing yards, two touchdowns. Next week, he got hurt. Uh, week 16, 135 rushing yards, one touchdown. Week 17, 170 and two touchdowns. Week 18, 190 rushing yards and a score. So just like 
unreal levels of production. And we know, you know, Marshawn Lynch, Chris Carson, when he's healthy, that, you know, Pete really wants to just run the rock. Do not let Russell Wilson cook at any cost. (laughs) And so, you know, Chris Carson has like a really serious injury to come back from. He's never healthy. Yeah. I've been drafting him in best balls too, but, but yeah, I think, I think Penny's Penny has massive upside. I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, yeah, Carson, man, I, I don't know if we all are, you know, Chris Carson's great story, great production when healthy, man, but I don't, I don't know if we'll ever, we'll ever see him again. This next thing sounds like it's uh degenerative. Um, so I like that Penny call. Mine's Melvin Gordon. Um, just a, Ooh, that back. would suck. Yeah, just a running back that the whole fantasy industry has completely soured on. Everybody was sick of him because we all wanted Javante Williams to break out. Um, Melvin had a great year. Um, he's gonna get. He is going to get a nice little contract and piss off a lot of people. And we know he has three down potential. Um, so I, I kind of like Melvin Gordon to maybe be this year's Fournette, just as somebody that you know we've seen in the past be an RB one, but you know not consistently enough, good enough pass catcher. Um, obviously all of this is landing spot dependent too with, with Gordon, but yeah. kind of like So, so I, you know, I'm team bell cow or bust and redraft, but, but in best ball, I'm very zero RB. You're really just like draft a running back in round one and then forget about it for a while. But I think this is an amazing year for that. So Rashad Penny is RB 32 by ADP. Miles Sanders, RB 35. Quarterell Patterson, RB36. Melvin, RB38. Yeah, uh, Gus, like Gus Edwards, James Robinson, yeah. RB42. Yeah, Robinson obviously scares the shit out of me with the, the late Achilles tear. Um, I think oh, everyone, so, I think, oh, crap. Right. I actually for, just forgot about that. Yeah, no, no, it's all good. Like, the you know, people are going to say, oh, Cam Akers came back really fast. Well, like, Cam Akers is literal best case scenario, like, active God best case scenario with, with that. I don't. I don't think we can expect that with James Robinson. You're just extrapolating two different cases. And, and can we have a mini Cam Akers debate? Because I know we're on opposite sides of the fence. Uh, he is going our – No, no, no. We were not on opposite sides of the fence. I just thought Akers was going a little too early. I didn't think he be, she should be no, going no, no. Taylor. I didn't no, think no, he should no. be going Robin Taylor. That's the I, way so, I so, – I loved him last year. I'm saying yeah. this year. Oh, oh, this, oh, okay. This year he's going RB14 – He's in between Saquon Barkley, Antonio Gibson, David Montgomery, Aaron Jones, J.K. Dobbins, Ezekiel Elliott. And, I mean, that Achilles still scares the crap out of me. I know he returned, but I didn't think he was at all really effective. I think we could see another committee situation. I think there's a high risk for compensatory injuries. I think he may never return to his baseline production and efficiency that we saw prior to the injury. Uh, so I, I, I have him in my own rankings, like two rounds lower. Wow. I know you like him though. Yeah, I do. And and it's because this Rams offensive line late in the year was, was dog shit. Um, I mean, he was just constantly running into the back of his offense. Well, is Whitworth retiring? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the big concern for me, man, is, is, you know, this, this Rams offensive line is definitely, definitely a problem. Um, you know, McVay in the past has done amazing things to kind of like, you know, counteract it and scheme up things and, and you know, change up his blocking schemes. He'll, he's, you know, people like people like to shit on McVay for, for running the ball a lot, but he really is a genius with the run game. He's always been extremely fluid. Like he'll out of nowhere, he'll just start using 12 personnel. Like if he's not running it well, they'll get two tight ends in there, move him around. 
get extra blockers and they'll start running the ball more effectively. So I, I'm betting on the talent. I'm betting on the situation. I'm betting on the role. I, it's interesting to hear you say that you think that there's going to be a committee. Like, you know, Michelle's gone. He's not coming back. Uh, Henderson's dealt with a number of major injuries in back-to-back years. He had a really bad ankle injury in 2020, which actually allowed Akers to break out. And then he's dealt with injuries again in the back half of this year. I think he had like a quad injury, uh, ankle injury again. Um, Henderson's no bet to to stay on the field again. I don't know, man. I mean, they get they immediately after that first game where Akers came back, like they immediately made Michelle like a non-factor. I don't know. I think Akers' role is probably better than people are having. I- the the Achilles just scares the crap out of me. Uh, it ruined that. Arian Foster's career. Uh, Marlon Mack has done nothing since then. Isaiah Crowell dead. Donta Foreman is like the one possible hit, and even then, like that's nothing. Beanie Wells, Kendall Hunter, Mike Lashore, Lundell White. Uh, it's just. Vic Ballard. It's just uh my counter my counter to that is no one really has the talent pedigree that Akers had besides Foster out of that group. Right. There's a larger what Ed would would say, I think is like a, a pool of talent or something like that. Um, but I mean that's not the right phrase. But uh yeah, I just think there's a chance he's like only ever eighty percent of who he was. And I, I don't see that being priced into ADP. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, you know, my, my larger concern is uh, this offensive line and, and where they go from here because they just they have <laughs> they don't have a lot of assets to kind of build it back up. Yeah, um, but at the same time, I mean, like Stafford and Cup is like deadly, yeah. so lighter fronts and all that. Yeah, yeah. And Akers is, a, you know, a great pass catcher. We just haven't really seen the Rams use the running backs as a – high you know high volume pass catcher since the girly days and even then i mean that was still like you know we're not talking about you know you know girly wasn't getting eight targets a game yeah i hey i mean that is his upside like that girly role was yeah that's his upside man all-time great yeah that's why i was and taking even, him everywhere last year yeah and it's an even better offense um the line is definitely my concern. I had a stat. It was like, I think 60% of his carries going to the Super Bowl, he was hit at or behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, that's just like college. Yeah, yeah it's literally just like college. Uh, all right. Uh, at Fitz underscore 843, any and all thoughts on how to parse out these players for next year? Calvin Ridley, Saquon, and Debo. Obviously with Ridley, man, I mean, we just don't know. Um, it kind of seems like uh, Arthur Blank put out a statement a couple weeks ago. Uh, saying that it seems like Ridley might move on, so he could be out of Atlanta. Uh, we just really don't know with him. But let's talk through Saquon and Debo. Um, Saquon, man, is, I think, the by far more interesting debate. Uh, you know, all of the injuries aside, you know, now we've got this new staff that I'm excited about, you're excited about, everybody's excited about. How do we feel about Saquon? Yeah, I kind of want to buy all three of these guys. But it, but again, it comes back to my uh, level of risk tolerance. So I was on Saquon this year, and that was a pretty big mistake where it's just like, hey, um, you know, I know he's coming off of this injury, but if he stays healthy, he has that Christian McCaffrey upside where like very few people have that upside where he's uh, extensively utilized as a patch, pass catcher, game script immune, uh, all of that. I know the offensive line is bad. I know the offense is bad. Uh, But what really derailed his season was he picked up another high ankle sprain and he's never played well 
with injuries. Um, and that was really damning. But I, I think when you're coming off of a serious injury, the first year is very, very risky, but the year after that is a lot safer. And that, that's what we saw with Dalvin cook. That's what uh shout out. Dr. David Chow told me over the phone when we talked one, he was like draft Dalvin cook everywhere because you know, he was coming off of the injury. He wasn't 100% high risk of compensatory injuries, but this year he's going to go off. And like, that's kind of how I feel about Saquon. Uh, do you want to see really like if he can withstand a robust workload before, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's right. He has like what one year left in his deal. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And so see what they have in him. Uh, the new offense, uh, you know, should be a lot better, all that stuff. Uh, Calvin Ridley too, uh, concerns with him is like a full year off is like no joke. He might not even come back. Like that's a legitimate concern, which is like one of the worst concerns possible. Uh, though it does seem like they're going to try and trade him. Uh, also, uh, wide receivers especially do not perform well on new teams. Uh, historically, like, I don't know, like a 15% drop in fantasy production or more. Um, those are all concerns, but again, like risk tolerance, you could be getting an easy wide receiver one at a wide receiver three price tag. So that's enticing to me. And then Debo, man, I mean, like everything about his new role felt fluky to me, especially by expected fantasy points. But just to like completely render Kittle obsolete, render Ayuk obsolete, they're going to definitely run more this year. But um, no, I, I mean, he Cooper Cup had the best season ever. But Debo's season was like 25th best ever, so yeah. or 14th best ever if you, you count the 17th week. So uh, And he's not at all priced like it. So I, I really like all three of these guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, on Saquon, man, like this, if, if you were a believer, this is by far the best time to buy in Dynasty. I mean, Barkley, since he was drafted in 2018, has been like no-brainer top 10, locked in top five for a number of years in ADP. I mean, he is now going outside of like the top 15, 20 picks in startup drafts I've seen, man. So, I mean, if you're, if you're trying to get Barkley, this is by far the best time. Cause I'm kind of with you. I, I ended up not having a ton of Barkley um, just because I, I, you know, I kind of felt like he was a bit overpriced like Derrick Henry way more. So I just ended up with Henry over Barkley in a lot of my teams last year, but I, I still was like kind of nibbling. Um, he actually dipped into the second round of like one of my biggest drafts that I did with Joe and Tom. We ended up getting Barkley in the second round, starting Camara and Barkley with our draft. And we thought we hit the stone cold nuts. Uh, ended up not really panning out because Camara started balling when Barkley was hurt and vice versa. Barkley came back when, when Camara was hurt. Uh, that being said, though, I mean this is this is by far the best time to buy Barkley in, in Dynasty if you're if you're a believer. He's playing under the fifth year option um, this year, so you know he's he's paying he's playing for another big payday. Um, and I'm with you. Two years removed now from you know the major knee injury. Uh, you know he never he said that that ankle injury was going to bother him all year long, and he was right. You know it did. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean also I mean all of this is like he was playing with Mike Lennon for half the year. Um. So yeah, I'm definitely in on Saquon. I, you know, you guys know how I feel about Debo. I, you know, I think I, you know, in Dynasty, man, I mean, sure, Trey Lance is taking over. Sure, they're going to be lower volume pass offense, all of that. But, um, you know, the efficiency will dip. I'm with you that the, the rushing role will probably not be as efficient as as, uh, as it was this past year. But, I mean, you're, you're buying the talent. Uh, I want Debo on all my teams. Um, 
All right, great question here from a great, a great at. Jell Lols Jiggling, at Jell Lols Jiggling. Uh, I, got, I got me rolling for a little bit there. Um, he asked simply, Justin Jefferson versus Jamar Chase. And Scott, I'll take this. One guy has Joe Burrow as his quarterback for the next 10 years, <laughs> and the other guy doesn't. I'll take Jamar Chase. Simple as that. Yeah, my argument would be, well, Chase is – I don't know if this is dynasty or redraft, but I don't think it matters. Chase is a full year younger and Chase had the better rookie season. When they played together on the same team at LSU, Chase had the better season. And I think they're both like future hall of famers, no joke, no cap, whatever. But I mean, Chase is, is the guy. Yeah. He's the best rookie season ever. The end. Yeah. 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 And it was a dynasty debate. Um, I don't even really think it's a debate, man. I have it. This is speaking to somebody who's a ton of Justin Jefferson in Dynasty. Yeah, Jamar Chase, uh, easy. Uh, at eighty nine, Tremaine, how would you rank the following for mid to late round wide receiver success out of like these variables? You got talent, uh, scheme, coach, and uh, quarterback, and then perceived volume and opportunity. And I think you and I both agree. You know, volume and opportunity is the number one thing we should be chasing it at running back uh, and wide receiver. Um, but yeah, like how, how do you filter through, you know, when you're picking mid to late round wide receivers, how do you filter through all that? Um, I mean, it's, it's a tough question because they all feed into one another. Like if you're talented, you get sure. more volume and opportunity. If you have a competent coach, they'll realize they'll get their talented player, more volume and opportunity. Uh, I, I will just say they're all super important. Like quarterback play is, yeah. massive like it's so hard to differentiate what successful wide receiver play from successful quarterback play they're so inter- intertwined and it's so necessary necessary to have that um so i don't know yeah i mean like volume is probably the first thing i look for but yeah obviously quarterback talent player talent is is massive and and i'll look into scheme and coach like shanahan's wide receiver one as historically smash for fantasy this year it was i guess debo uh, a couple of years before that it was kittle uh before that it was julio pierre garçon and like those guys just every single year smashed right yeah i mean yeah i think you said it perfectly like they all kind of feed into each other you know terry mclaurin the volume was great this past year i mean the market share all of it his i mean i think he led all all receivers in market share of air yards but he didn't have a quarterback once again i mean right. it was just he was just poor guy. Yeah. I mean, he had the ball and chain quarterback again this year, just getting completely drugged down by the, the dregs of the team, or I guess it's the commanders. Now we actually have a team for him now, but um, oh, yeah. I'm never, yeah, I'm going to screw that up every week. Oh, I, I mean, absolutely. Uh, it's definitely it just feels like an XFL team name. It really does. Shout out to the XFL. Shout out to Jeff Fisher. You got another job. Um, all right, man, on that note, I'll do it. Um, good first show back. I think you're doing something with Wes later this week on Dynasty, so look out for that. Um, and yeah, man, we're running an early bird special. 20% off gets you the whole 2022 season still. Still got the early bird coming up. Uh, save you a few doll hairs. And yeah, man. Um, hey, by the way, I know you're going to Jersey. I'm going on a trip too. Are you bringing your podcast stuff? With your I can. Yeah, I okay. should. All right, yeah, do it. Um, we'll do something on the road. We'll bring it back. But uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, for Scott, check us out later this week. I think Scott's going to have a show with Wes. And uh, yeah, you can double up on on your uh, on your podcast this week. 
Uh, guys, enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the combine here in a couple weeks. We will be back probably in a week or two after we get done with our traveling. So, Welcome to Fantasy Points Radio. We bring to you Barfield and Perry. All of these, all of these parents say hella embarrassed. Like, why did they error with all of these errors? And Buffett and Barry, you cannot compare with the kings of this era. There should be a tariff on all of this knowledge. I follow regardless. It's straight to the point like a crow. Popping and coming is losing my oxygen takes that they got made me go. Whoa, so what's a swamp rat gotta do? I'm chasing all of this cheese, even if my competition grew. Deuces to the mean, your boy is never regressing. Off season through the season, 365, 247, and it's one for the money, two bars on the show. Stay ready, swamp rats, let's go It's the fantasy points, ain't no raggedy joint They mad at me scoring points, but then they glad that they join One for the money, two bars on the show